Hey, everybody, it's Jean Nathan, and it is Crosstown Conversations. You know how we got that name? That goes back to right after the storm, when people from different parts of the city weren't talking to each other. Remember that? And I said, let's open up the dialogue. And that's how this started, and uh, we still do that. We do dialogue. And today, we're going to talk about art, but you know what? I can't resist. I really want to hear from you guys during this discussion about the monuments because I sit on the HDLC board and I'll be there this afternoon and I just really want to hear from folks on, on this issue. So 260-9265, we're going to interject that into the program even though we are talking about um, other things. So um, we are actually going to talk both about a really beautiful show out at NOMA, the New Orleans Museum of Art and City Park, um, about the storm, it's very sort of, you know, it's not um, literal. It's very kind of, you know, abstract. But you can handle abstract, right? And it's, But it's a gorgeous, gorgeous show. It's one of the best they've ever had. And so I'm really excited to have Russell Lord on the show, if we can just find him. He hasn't shown up yet, but I'm sure he's on the way and trying to find where we are or something like that. And then we're going to talk about a show called The People's Murals. And um, actually, I guess we're going to start with that because Russell's not here yet, which is a gorgeous show also in the Myrtle Banks School Building on O.C. Haley Boulevard in Central City. Now, listen, y'all, I am not seeing you in that building. And I know it looks like it's not open because the grocery on the ground floor hasn't opened yet. This is the big school building just two blocks down from Ashe, and I know you go to Ashe all the time. So you can walk two blocks down and go to the Myrtle Banks building on the third floor. There's an elevator, hello, a very nice elevator, at the Arado Street entrance, at the side entrance, of this, at the uh, downriver side of the building. You come up to the third floor, and we have a gorgeous gallery right down the middle of the building, and we had a beautiful show up for months called Rights and Revival, and it was about the civil rights movement, a beautiful photo essay that Dion Butler put together with um, Denai Columbus. And then um, we also had um, art by, you know, primarily African-American artists, really beautiful work by some artists that are recognized, like Bruce Dagrapont, um, <laughs> to Bruce Dagrapont, he's a musician, Bruce Davenport, and also by um, Keith Duncan, whose work I'm crazy about, and a lot of other really interesting artists. And, uh, you know, we just didn't see a whole lot of you there. So um, I, I want you to come this time. It's 1307 um, Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard, and we are going to um, talk about that show. Now, we're also going to talk about the monuments, and I see a caller already, so I guess it's probably about that. So here we go. Mr. Mann. Yes, ma'am. Ms. Nathan, how are you doing this morning? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm up for the day. I'm, I'm okay. looking forward to the debate. Yeah. Well, I listen, I listen to the show quite frequently, and you put up some good information. Uh, what I would like to say about the monuments, uh, and Tribune had the same idea I had. Most people know, even though monuments exist, you know, and that uh, when I used to go over to the K&B building, or whatever, they had the sculptures that have been moved back to City Park and the uh, Sculpture Garden now, 
I rarely saw anybody around those monuments. Now, everybody has a right to appreciate the history and what the history stands for. But if you go there, I wonder how many students from Xavier, that monument stopped from becoming doctors or engineers. My little niece went to Xavier, passed every day. She became a doctor. Robert Lee's, Lee's statue didn't mean that much to her. She probably didn't know it existed. My other niece became a uh, programmer for one of the big companies and went, went all over the United States and the world setting the programs. Um, I don't see what those monuments, some people had said these were sublim a subliminal message. For people, a conscious message. Uh, I don't see what those monuments have done, it had any great impact. Matter of fact, uh, Beauregard, uh, statue out in, uh, City Park, when I, I used to appear on that statue when it was in, uh, about the um, uh, Square, which is now Congo Square. It's called Beauregard Square. Beauregard, that's just we had in. I, it didn't have an impact on the people I saw. Now, most of them know statues exist now. If you want them to change the names and all that, uh, what about the Ernest Morrell Center that has more reference and more importance, and people mention that name all the time? What about the Real Kong Air Force? What about A.P. Turo uh, statue? What about the Reverend Avery Alexander statue? What about the Norman uh, Rich Lou had a big picture in Charity Hospital, a big picture in Charity Hospital? And all I'm saying, to me, some of this is much to do about nothing. You know, uh, those who want to honor the statue, let them honor it. You know, but I know what they stand for, but let us be a source of motivation. Another thing, how many people traveled and understood and see all this stuff? I've been to the Confederate Museum long before it was a debate about the statues or the monuments. I've been there. You know, uh, if you go to One Canal Place, the, the, monument, the monument for the White League, how many people understand that that means? Most of them don't know. Most of the young blacks don't know. How many of them go down to AP Turo statue? Uh, I mean, say uh, a statue, a monument right there on uh, London Avenue. You know, so I'm saying, this is, to me, is a distractor. And I think, you know, I think the time, uh, the Tribune made a reference to that. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I, it's probably true, although mm -hmm. I have to tell you that when I first came to the city 40-some years ago, mm -hmm. I was a little shocked to see those statues, and, and they, and I passed them, all the time, because for one thing, I live on Esplanade, so when I go to the park and I go to the museum and I see the Beauregard statue all the time, and every single time I look at it, I know what it stands for, and it makes me uncomfortable. It truly well, does. If you look at it, anything makes you uncomfortable. But who said you have to look at it? Now, I, I remember years ago, I asked some people what that monument was. I asked three people. One person told me it was a cowboy. Another one told me it was a <laughs> buffalo soldier. Another person didn't know who it was. I'm saying, and these were three black persons. Most people don't know those statues, staff know what they mean now. Well, now, I'm now, going, now I know why. Street. So, so I'm now. Take the, let me say this again. Okay, Are you go gonna ahead. Take the George Washington out your pocket and throw them away. Are you going to take the Lincolns out your pocket and throw them away? Are you going to take uh, Benjamin Franklin out your pocket and throw them away? Now, that's money. You know, these people are on the money. You don't throw that away. You know, now, I don't see nothing nowhere where uh, those statues have any significance other than the compromise of North Mayor with the South to name some force after them. Camp Boulevard, uh, 
You go over there to uh, uh, Camp Beauregard, the one down in Jackson Barracks. But other than that, you know, it's significant. If you make it significant to you, you know, those things could be ignored. It's like anything else. Now, for those people it's significant to, that's good. But as long as they don't take that philosophy and try to use that philosophy to harm anybody, now they can parade around all day, all night. You know? But I don't see where it has any impact upon me. Like I said, I know many places would pass those, those monuments, monuments and went right to Xavier, got all kinds of degrees. Well, you know what? This explains to me why I, I got uh, a package of comments from people that was delivered to me by the staff of the HGLC. And most, almost all of the comments were coming from white people uptown, and they were all uh, decrying uh, taking down something that was historic and uh, making the argument that it's, you know, it's an historic landmark, so it shouldn't come down, et cetera. And uh, I've heard also the argument that, okay, well, they didn't take down all the statues of all the kings that were, you know, that fostered revolution in Europe and, and, and bad guys from Europe's history and so on. But, but here's my thing. Um, so now I'm hearing your argument, and now I understand why I didn't see very many comments at all from African Americans in the city. Uh-huh. So y'all just are kind of turning your back on it. I get it. But... Why miss an opportunity to have something there that does have meaning and does have impact to the majority of New Orleanians? Why not have something in those places that, you know, you, that does have meaning and that you would be interested in? That's kind of well, what I'm let's thinking. Put up, let's put up something that has meaning. What? You know, let's put up some monuments that have meaning. And we have put up some. But I'm saying most of the people even know those things exist. But, you know, those are two very, very prominent positions in the city. You know, that's a powerful position right there in front of NOMA, right? It's big. It's well, imposing. It's, 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 it's actually a beautiful statue in and of itself. It's just too bad it represents a guy who literally fired the first shot that started the Confederate War. And, I, and, and Lee, now here, here's another thing. Here's what's interesting to me. I don't have the exact dates in front of me. The I dates ha- are uh, Lee, the Lee statue was erected in uh, right after the World's Fair in, ni- in 1885. And uh, the Jefferson Davis statue was done more recently during the WPA period, might have been uh-huh. even paid for by the WPA in 1930. And that was a Roosevelt program. I know. That's, that's real interesting. And, and Beauregard, I believe, was done... In, uh, I'm not sure of the date, 1915, I believe. Well, Beauregard statue used to be in what you call, uh, what is Congo Square now? It used to be in there, and they moved it back there. And we used to play on it, and I'm saying, when people come to the city, they say, I'm going to Mahalia Jackson Theater, I'm going to uh, Congo Square. Nobody mentions anything about uh, Beauregard or Jefferson. So, well, how, how about I mean, if we how, I mean, how about if we just travel <laughs> Jefferson Highway every day and they look at the beautiful bayou? How many of them stop by Jefferson Davis statue? I look well, over there. I look sir, at the Frank Lloyd Wright building. Sir, what would you think about having an Obama statue in New Orleans? Yeah, and, well, you can put that there, but it's and up a, to and, the, the, and the an Abraham Lincoln statue. This is artist Robert Tannen talking to you, so you know. People that could, could put monuments up too. See, so I mean, I've never seen. Ten people around, I want those monuments. And I'm downtown all the time. I see people sleeping on them. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening. I see people sleeping on them. I see people getting drunk on them. <laughs> you know, I don't see anybody 
worshiping those statues down there, or those monuments. Now I'm saying it's up to them. But are you going to change Calhoun Street? Are you going? Do you want to change Dr. Martin Luther King Street? Do you do, do you want to change Arthur Haley Castle Street? Do you want to go back and change um, uh, Robert E. Lee Boulevard? I'm just saying, some of this is much to do about nothing. And that's not agreeing with those people who believe in segregation or anything like that. Hello? I got gotcha. you. Because I don't, I, don't, I, you know, I don't believe in that. But what I'm saying is that something has no significance and it's a distractor in a sense. And we deal with a lot of distractions and emotional issues sometimes that we shouldn't be dealing with. You know, most people don't even know those things exist. Uh, okay, baby. I got okay, your ma'am. point. Okay, uh, I appreciate you calling in, and okay, I think ma'am. you made your. I think you made your case. You really did. Um, I don't agree with it, but you made your case. Okay, two six zero nine two six five. I'm welcoming anybody else who wants to weigh in on this, and we'll just kind of lace the show with any kind of discussion. Because again, I just want to hear other people's points of view on this. Because I have to represent. You know, my neighborhood, really, I'm, I'm out of Treme, and that's, that's the neighborhood I represent on the HDLC. So uh, you folks out there in Treme, let me hear from you. I'd like to know what you think. But let me go for a minute. Oh, we got another caller. So let's, let's, let's hear what we got here. Okay. Hello. Hi, uh, Eric. How you doing? Hi. Who's this? Uh, Eric. Eric? All right. Eric, what yeah. you got? Yeah. Yeah, I never agreed it's appropriate to have public display of disrespect to any group of people, whether the people know who to the monument is or what the monument is about or not, they may become aware of the public disrespect and at that point it becomes irritant, but just out of general principle, we should never have any kind of public display of disrespect towards any group of people, whether they know what that figure is about or not. To me, that's just respect for human for humanity and for people in general. And uh, taking down Martin Luther King or um, Aretha Castle Haley, I don't see how that is comparable to Robert E. Lee. One was about uplifting people. One group was about King and Haley. They were about uplifting people. Robert E. Lee and Beauregard, they were about degrading people. So to me, that's not a, a comparable uh, comparison anyway. So I think I think in the HDLC, uh, to me, I never really have seen, to me, they, I don't see them as a, a group that's about moving forward. It seems like they always want to protect the past, whether it's detrimental for people or not. I think they have. They like to keep things as they are, whether it's uplifting or not. So I'm not surprised that the HDLC would be in favor of keeping these. Oh no, no, now wait, hold, hold on a second, Eric. Let me let me make sure we're clear here. The HDLC has not taken a position on this yet. And while the HDLC's job, their assigned job, is to make sure that the historic districts keep their character. It, that doesn't mean that uh, it protects every single historic structure or or uh, monument or park or anything. It just means that you want to maintain the character of an historic neighborhood. And um, all I was saying is that we were getting comments. We were being sent comments, and most of the comments I was getting were from white people. And I just couldn't understand w- where is the African-American community on this. So that's why they I wanted were, they, to op- They were in favor of keeping the uh, racist statues? You know... Did you? Uh, some people seem to say, "Why waste our time and money on this when there are quote from the Tribune 99 other things more important to deal with?" So yes, there are some people in the black community yeah. who are saying, 
you know, don't don't bother me with this foolishness. Just like this guy who just said, he says, I've ignored those statues. My daughters went to school passing them every day, and they went on and became doctors and programmers and what have you. But um, I'm sort of posing, is this the best use for those you know, very key places in the city, Lee Circle and, and the entrance to the park. Public. You know, yeah, again, pu- public spaces. you have an opportunity to do away with symbolism of oppression, it's always a good time. It's always a good use of energy. One person may be concerned about another aspect of getting rid of oppression. Another person may be interested in this particular one. So I think all of them are viable opportunities to rid op- oppressive forces in this particular city and, and throughout society in general. You could, you could talk about Asia, you could talk about South Central America. Whenever there's an opportunity to get rid of oppression, there's always a good opportunity, and no opportunity is too small because they all work together, whether it's a large opportunity or a small opportunity. They all complement one another. Eric, what's your last name? <laughs> Do you mind? No, I, I appreciate your comments. <laughs> I, I find them, you know, um, intelligent, and I'm just curious who you are. Oh, well, my name's Eric. I'm not, that's enough. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your comments, and I appreciate you calling uh, I appreciate in. It. I thought they were um, uh, well thought out, as was the previous callers, Mr. Manns. Um, he, he had thought his out, too. So um, I love the discussion, 2609265. Let me squeeze in uh, the original purpose of the show uh, before we open this up, and I want to do continue this. But um, Russell Lord is here. Guys, Russell is a... Um, curator they're called at the new orleans museum of art and he put together a show um i'm not sure i'm crazy about the name 10 years gone but it's basically about the um post katrina era in the city and it's not one of these kind of really literal shows that show you pictures of destroyed houses it's a little bit more artful but just extraordinarily beautiful. And all of the artists involved are really interesting artists. And I, I just wanted, Russell, for you to tell me a little bit about your thinking behind this. And I had originally really wanted to get um, Willie Birch, who gave one of the best artist talks I've ever heard and really talked a lot about the show. I may still do that before you close the show. I will try to, if you get me that tape, sure. I will play the whole thing, because it was about 45 minutes, and the length of my show is an hour, so I can squeeze it in. But give, give me a little bit of, a, of an introduction to the show. Sure. Thank you, Jean. It's an honor to be here. Um, I'll start with the title, actually, since, since you, you mentioned it. Um, you know, our our thinking as an institution was that we we wanted to do something to honor the anniversary, the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. But at the very beginning of that discussion, we also started asking ourselves, why do we choose these particular moments to look back? What is the significance of 10 years? And as we started to discuss it further, we realized that it's really a very ambiguous moment, right? I mean, 10 years is is something. It is some distance in terms of time, but it's in the scope of this city's history. It's a very, very small uh, amount of time by which to measure any success or failure. Uh, so I, I chose the title uh, for two reasons. I think that it matches the ambiguity. You know, when we say something is gone, we can that can either be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, we can be glad that things are gone and in the past, or we can lament that things are gone. Uh, so that's the first reason. The second reason is that it's a statement of fact. Whether, Regardless of how we want to see the present moment, the fact is that the 10 years that have passed have passed. And so this is a moment where we consider how much we want to engage with the past, but also how much we want to engage with the future and what 
what the state of this city really is. It's so ironic that your words could almost apply to the discussion we're also having on the monuments because, yes, that's that's the other kind of remembrance we're taking. And, and if you don't mind, we're going to, as I said, lace the show no, with those comments. So please. let me take Mr. Coleman or Ms. Coleman. Good morning. Good, Thanks for good. taking my call. Thank you, Mr. Coleman. Tell me what you're thinking. Let me ask you a question first. Do you want to know my whole name? <laughs> That's up to you, dear. I, no, I, no, no, no. See, I, I could stand up for me. My name is Monroe Coleman. All right. So I ain't like this other coward people want to call in and don't want to give their name. See, that's what's wrong with a lot of us. We want to say something. You want to throw a brick, but you want to hide your hand. I'm going to tell you, I'm in transportation. We have to acknowledge everybody's history. Not that you agree with it, but we all have history. The I'm going to use the word, the three callers ago was making his point about keeping the statue. The second caller was making a point about removing the statues. This example that I'm going to give you, if you like my house on the corner, you're going to come move me out my house and move your family in my house. Tell me how you're going to feel. You're not going to like it. When you're first, you're first. The statues was here first. What we need to do, and I haven't heard anybody say it, raising money to removing statues, raising money to put other statues there. I'm going to make a prediction. In 10 to 20 years from now, we're going to be having the same discussion about moving Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. statue because we no longer first minority. Right now, we second minority, and in 10 to 30 years or 20, whatever, we're going to become that third minority because in the black community, the death rates are up. The birth rates are down. You can't repopulate when your population is dead and in prison. So as uh, Rodney King said, can we all just get along? People don't realize how racial divide America has been. The Constitution said we are one nation under God, but what do we do? Every election, they talk about how the divide was. What are you? Oh, I'm Afro-American. I'm French-American. I'm Spanish-American. You breaks up the strength of America by dividing it up into races. When I went to Canada, they were Canadians. When I went to Mexico, they were Mexican, French, Germany. Any other country you go to, they identify with that country except in America. Now, I might be wrong with a few other nations that I don't know about, but we've been brainwashed so long to keep us divided. I'm going to tell you uh, something that changed on the news that people don't pay attention to. I brought it to WDSU station 20 years ago. When you give the news, you don't hear them saying black did this, white did the other. They leaving out who did it and just telling you what the person did. They've been doing racial divide in the news for years, and it's stereotype white people, even black folks. You see two or three black kids together, you cross over, you get ready, you put your hand on your purse. That's stereotyping, and we've been programmed for so many years, and we don't understand 
we don't recognize how we've been brainwashed. So we need statues of everybody so all nationalities can be recognized. The Asian community, they got there. Most folks can go down there in Vietnam Village in the East. So, so Mr. Coleman, let, let me just ask you a question. I, I hear what you're saying, and again, it's a valid point. But doesn't it bother you what these particular statues represent in terms of that really abysmal period in American history of slavery and what that slavery did to people. When I look at those statues, that's what I, I think about. It's not just somebody else's history. It is a history of a very um, uh, destructive uh, period of American history that's, that we are still paying for today, that is still a part of our culture today. That, that doesn't bother you? No, it doesn't. And I'm going to make my point on that. I was born in America, so I bought into the American dream. I got educated, I vote, I own property, and I have kept my daddy's business going. We are now third generation. People don't buy into the American dream. Some of them, they don't want to salute the flag, stand up when the pledge allegiance and all that. They need to find them a country. Love it or leave it. Let me tell you what America represents. America represents the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what makes America. We all have opinions, but we have to respect each other's opinions. And as Rodney King said, can we all just get along? Yes, we can all get along if we put aside this foolishness. We can't waste money. We need to be using money to the betterment, better streets, better schools better job. Black folks got to support other black business. We don't do that. Other nationalities go across town to spend their money. And I transport them. They spend cab fare to go across town to buy something at one of their family stores. But not us. We run right to the the country, yang yang men, and give their money to them. Let's do some better education with our people that, you know, right now, we own less than 1% of deeded property in the United States. That's sad. Our ancestors own more land than we do, and we ain't got enough sense to keep the, the pay the property tax. I got property out there in, in, in Fish, uh, West Feliciana Parish that I pay a couple of dollars a year for property tax. Money that I mean, property that my ancestors left us, and we still got it in the family. How many other people keeping that country property? Well, I won't be out in no country. I'm being on sticks. I'm being on woods. But the cities are moving to the sticks in the woods. Look at New Orleans East. When you went, you weren't here. We went to Lincoln Beach. Once you left Legion Field going towards uh, Lil Wood, it was all woods. People who've been here, I'm almost 70 years old. You can't like five black people. Which way is Robbie Lee facing and why he's facing that way? Jeff Davis, why he's facing that way? It's some blimio. They pass it, they don't see it. That's all it is. We are making a big stuff about something that we should be making an issue about with the mayor. And, and the mayor threw the black community a bone. We're going to change Jefferson Davis Avenue to the president of Xavier Avenue. But guess what? That's the back street of Xavier. Why are they talking about changing to Washington Avenue? I challenge him to say change it to Carrollton. But we bite on a bone with no meat on it. That tells you the intelligence about people, that how they've been so brainwashed and so fooled.
Did I make my point? You did a great job, Monroe Coleman. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for taking me. All You're right. welcome. You know, this is a good point, if you don't mind, Russ. No, we'll please. come back to the show. Please. By the way, when does the um, uh, 10 Years Gone show close? I just want to... The show is up until September 7th, which oh, is uh, La- Labor Day long. weekend. Okay. Yeah, so we've got so a few more weeks. So that weekend, I need to have uh, Willie's uh, tape so that we can uh, play it to entice people to come see the show, because, again, it is one of the most beautiful shows I've ever seen at NOMA, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you. So back to, let me let me take Bob Tannen at this point, because Bob Tannen, back in 2008, thank you. No, was it eight? Yeah. Okay, let's take eight. Um, did a piece um, with boulders around Lee Circle and one said N for North, one said S for South, one said W for West, and one said E for East. Because of exactly what Mr. Coleman was saying, that, you know, first of all, we have a hard time getting a sense of direction in this town, metaphorically and literally. So um, it, it was a, an attempt to do But also it, the whole idea was to repurpose that that site. Now, I think Lee Sir, Lee, Lee's statue dominates that site, so a few boulders did not take away from Lee. But what what did you have in mind with that with that well, with, with your compass? Well, uh, when I realized that the placement of the streets connecting to and intersecting with Lee Circle were pretty much an approximation, but close to the cardinal points of the compass. Uh, and that we do not, in New Orleans, have a, a strong idea of where north, east, south, and west might be. So the idea was to turn this this place into a new kind of object and to uh, create a compass, which I called NEWS, N-E-W-S, uh, as a new way of thinking about that space as opposed to just the monument uh, on top of the column. And it was a temporary exhibit that was removed uh, because the city did not feel it was appropriate to a historic location. Uh, but these were boulders that were marked by these uh, points of the compass. And here was an example of trying to repurpose and change the identity to a more contemporary idea of, of where are we? So it's both, both a physical compass, but also raises questions about our moral compass. And the ambiguity of that, of that installation was to uh, encourage people to think about that space in new terms rather than the old terms of its original erection. But you see, to me, that is exactly what doesn't really work. In all honesty, I loved your piece and I enjoyed it, but um, uh, there are quite a few people, this is another position, who think that the way to deal with this is to repurpose these statues and to have plaques, I guess, that tell the story of what they were and kind of you know, correct the, the uh, assumptions about them. I don't think those plaques or even your installation really mitigates the power of the original purpose because I go back to why were those statues put up in the first place, by whom, sending what message. And uh, I'm concerned about well, the timing on that. No, one. I agree with that. Uh, but all I, all I was trying to do with that temporary installation 
was to look at this urban space in a way that was a little different and maybe bring attention to it as well. Right. People drive around as, it perhaps as, yeah, without I, thinking about it. Exactly what our first caller said. We have another caller, Daryl. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Darren. Um, I was excited to call your show. I got kind of dismayed with the other callers. We need to take those statues down. They represent more than just statues. They represent, in, in many cases, the statues that are in the people's hearts. The ones that, and many of them, uh, I'm sure you've been following, following the news across the South and even from South Carolina. When people say it's our heritage, don't tear down, don't take down the, um, the the Confederate flag as our heritage. People cannot, uh, we cannot forget uh, segregation in the South. What we what we've been through, the lynchings. Um, matter of fact, the Confederate flag was created because one of the reasons it was created was because many of, of the racists thought that white people were lowering their their. Um, their standard of living by making themselves equal to, to the Negro. They made themselves another flag, and you're talking about a pledge of allegiance. There's more, I think, a greater pledge to that Confederate flag than to anything else in this country, more than the American flag. That, uh, and, and you see the fight uh, coming up, even in New Orleans. Uh, the, uh, the comments that you made about there are so many comments you received from the white community um, in favor of the, um, the statues. Um, they don't find it offensive. Uh, but but uh, there's another phrase that's, that's called un, un, uh, unconscious bias. And that's what we live in. So we, we live in a society that is, is racially um, unconscious about the, the, the ism that's going on in the country, even in corporate America where um, you live in a country that's 65% black and so forth, but when most of your corporate officers are, are, and, and are white, most of your, your directors are white. And I might add as a woman, male. And, yes, and, and male, that's right. If, if I think 83, 88% of most of them, most of our major corporations here, major companies here, it, there is, I think when you use the word diversity, it means it means we've hired a woman, and not necessarily a black woman. They said we've just hired a woman, but you can see the um, um, uh, what is the heritage of, of the Confederate issues. The, the Confederate flag had just uh, the Confederate War had just reinvented itself over the years, and we see it in corporate America. We see it in, in the leadership. We see it after Katrina. Uh, we see how, how what, what neighborhoods are built up, what neighborhoods are neglected. It's a mentality that has been plaguing us and this country for a very long time. And it's more than just a statue. And if something else is, is what's reflected in people's hearts that, um, um, that we haven't really dealt with. And it's very painful. Painful for us. A lot of, a lot of our history... Uh, I can't even look at because it's so painful. It is painful for us. Um, I had to stop watching the, the Black History programs of the the, the, the Cedar Beatings, even for for Selma, Selma um, uh, for, 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 for the for the right to vote. 
all of that, those statues stand for all of those things. Those statues stand for people like Governor George Wallace, who said segregation today and tomorrow and forever. That's the mentality that that not only in our culture, but is, is in our businesses and everything. And we don't seem to be bothered by it. I, I, um, I, again, appreciate your thoughtfulness and you express yourself very well. And, and I have to say, I'm, I'm kind of leaning um, very much uh, towards your feeling. I, I, you know, uh, to me, again, uh, those statues, to too many people, represent pain. Exactly. That's the word, pain. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, I, I don't, uh, I just can't. Um, I have trouble with the argument that it's just a part of history. Um, thank you, Daryl. I've got to get back to my much. guests who I'm, I'm neglecting. Thank you so much. Okay, okay. Bye -bye. Now, Russell, in your show, one of the pieces that um, I get a particular kick out of, but it also has a lot of dimensions to it, and it's done by Willie Burge, an African-American artist, who is very if you'd like to make a call, outspoken. please hang up and try Whoops. again. If you need help, hang up and then Hello, dial your operator. Oh, we need to cut this radio, this, this uh, phone If you'd like to off. make a call, please hang up and try it. again. If you need <laughs> I help, I hang up. I, I pressed the button. It didn't. Okay, there we go. Sorry, folks. Okay, so Russell, Willie's piece, and I, I was just mentioning that he's an African-American artist, quite outspoken fellow, and um, a lot of his work is, is about the black community. He did these um, uh, representations of crawfish homes, the homes of crawfish, these little piles of, of um, uh, knotty muck. Mud, yeah. Mud, mud bugs. That's why they're called mud bugs, because right. they make these little towers of mud. But he made them out of brass. Yeah, bronze, right? bronze. Bronze, rather. Yeah. Bronze, yeah. a very high-end um, uh, material. And uh, I, I felt like he was saying, you know, they're not just mud bugs. They are an important species, and, and we Americans are beginning to learn, not just Americans, we humans are beginning to learn that we're not the only important species on Earth. And I felt like that was part of his message. But, but tell me more about it, because here we have this whole little pile of, of bronze mud bugs, and I go out to the, um, I go out to the, the uh, Crevasse 22 site, and that Crevasse 22 site, which has all these sculptures that talk about the environment, but interlaced with them are all these little mud bunk homes that are, right. to me, equally interesting sculptures. But what was he, ta was he talking about there? Well, so you, you definitely hit on one of, the, one of the main points, which is turning something that we – that a lot of children, as Willie will tell you, who grew up in this community, spent their childhood kicking over as they walked by, you know, these little mud, these little mud towers. Because they are – it's important to point out they are temporary dwellings. So they're essentially little pieces of architecture that a crawfish will build – live in very, very briefly, and then move on as the conditions in the environment change. Um, I didn't know that. So they're, so they're, they're empty after only a very brief period. Really? Um, and they are meant to crumble. You know, they will crumble eventually. So he has kind of drawn attention to them by, by using a very important material, a very um, high material, bronze. But he's also done something else, which is he's made them permanent. And uh, it's it's important to point out that each one of the sculptures in our show, each one of the little bronze crawfish dwellings that Willie Birch made, is a cast from an actual one that was created in nature. So a crawfish created this little piece of architecture, left it behind. His home. Yep, his home. 
left it behind. He picks it up. Um, Willie Birch picked it up, and he made um, casts from that. And then each one in our gallery corresponds to a thing that existed in nature. Uh, and for Willie, it was very important um, that in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, he noticed more and more of these in his own backyard than he had ever seen before. In town, here yes, in the city. Yes, here in the city. Yeah. And as he will tell you, um, you know, he he attributed that to a, a dramatic shift in the wake of Hurricane Katrina in the ecosystem. Here, their usual way of living had been disrupted. The water table had risen dramatically, and they had been forced to the surface and forced to create these little structures for survival. And then, of course, they left them and they moved on. So for him, they became symbols of displacement, of a little community that was forced out. Um, and at the same time, the other major piece in but wait, our show... To, oh, no, go to ahead. finish that, yeah, sure. yet they moved on and found a new place and created a new community, which is a point that Bob Tan, sitting here, my artist friend here... Um, always makes that we may have to move, many of us, from endangered coastal locations to others, and we will be resilient and we will find new homes if we have to. It's unfortunate, but it may be necessary. It's true. Like everything else in the whole exhibition, there is an ambiguity to them. They are about displacement, so there is a sense of disruption, but they are also about resilience and survival. Tell me about uh, Chris Alcedo's piece is another one that uh, captures me, and the and the smoke piece, which I don't remember the name of that artist. Sure. I'm not familiar with him, but you'll remind me. And and uh, Mr. Henry, I know you're waiting there, and uh, I'll take you in just a couple of minutes, but I, I wanted to get my guests in, both um, Russell and, and Bob Tan, who's going to talk about his mural show that's opening up this Saturday night on O.C. Haley Boulevard. Um, so the Chris Alcedo's piece are these representations of the World Trade Towers as if they were clouds floating in the sky. You take these humongous concrete, I forget how many, a hundred and some stories tall, and I used to work. I was in and out of those buildings for a long period in my life when I worked nearby, and and he shows them in in such an ephemeral context, such a um, floating in the sky. Tell me about that piece. Sure. The, the, these are works on paper. They're actually made of nothing but paper. It's white paper pulp pressed into a handmade blue sheet of paper. And the blue is important because, of course, all of us around the country, even if we weren't physically there, we know about that blue sky remember the blue morning. sky on mm-hmm. September 11th. And mm-hmm. Chris, Christopher's pieces are beautiful and haunting, and they are also very personal. Uh, he grew up in Brooklyn. And one of his brothers, uh, a, a New York City fireman, lost his, life. lost his life in the collapse of one yeah. of the towers. So th- he was inspired to make these pieces in part to honor the memory of his brother, but also to honor the memory of the architecture. And the architecture was was equally personal. He and his two brothers had gone to see the laying of the foundations of those buildings back in the 1970s. So they had oh, a very wow. long and personal relationship. They mm. saw them go up. And, mm-hmm. of course, you know, them coming down was a very, very big part of their, their history. And the smoke, the smoky Yes, piece. yeah, that's a piece by uh, a, a woman from Toronto, Spring Hurlbut, 
uh, who has worked in a variety of media. Um, but this is the first video piece that she's done. And when you are looking at the piece, you see her appear on the screen, and she opens a small container. And then the contents of the container that looks like smoke starts to uh, sift out and into the air very slowly. There's nothing manipulated about the video. The only thing that she's changed is she slowed it down very slightly. And as you read the wall text, it reveals that what she has just opened are the cremated remains of, of friends and acquaintances, and in one case, her father, um, that they all agreed to be a part of this piece, or their um, their descendants agreed to let uh, Spring work with their remains and entrust her with that responsibility. But f- for me, what I found really powerful about it is that it restages something that we think of as a very final thing, death. And reanimates it into a very vibrant and often very elegant dance. The the remains do things that you just couldn't imagine them doing. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It really is a curling slowly through the air. You know, I, I, this this y'all is truly one of those don't miss shows. That's how I feel about it. Is that the New Orleans Museum of Art unfortunately closing so soon, September seventh? Closing very soon. Um, although but, I, and August is also a free free at all the museums in the city. So, you know, I I put my newsletter out yesterday. I said, look, you know, uh, you want to get out of the heat? Go to a museum. It's free. You can get in there in the air conditioning and and learn something and experience something and enjoy it and be revived from what you do in your daily life. And And, and that's also... Oh, I just wanted to add, before you all go to uh, Bob Tannen's opening on Saturday night, uh, this Friday night, we are having a Louisiana late night. Uh, the museum is open until midnight, and we have a whole host of wow, programs midnight. focusing on local uh, local music, local food. Uh, Amanda Shaw will be playing, and one of the artists She's in so kick, yeah, kick one, behind. One, <laughs> so one of the one of the artists in Ten Years Gone, Don Dudeau, will also be giving a lecture with me about Louisiana landscape. It will be a walking tour through the museum, and we'll engage also with her pieces that are in Fantastic. the show. So. All right, Mr. Tan, and um, give, let me just uh, lace in again a comment from a monument, and then we're going to talk about the uh, your show uptown, um, Mr. Henry. Uh, yes, uh, I just wanted to express. I think some people have expressed, you know, that these monuments didn't get erected in a vacuum. As after the time of the Civil War. The black population of Louisiana was right at 50% of the total population. And after the Civil War, you know, that we have Lincoln Parish, we have Grant Parish, and those, those parishes were named after Abraham Lincoln and General Grant in Louisiana because of the influence of, of the black population and also of those whites who... Uh, well, uh, yeah, in favor of maintaining the union. Uh, you know, I, my family's been in this state uh, before it was a state, and uh, and I know that the reign of terror that was unleashed on the black population after the Civil War, you know, by the neo Confederates, the Ku Klux Klan, the White League, and others who were determined to put African Americans as closely as possible back in their place as slaves. You know, the black codes, the the restrictions on marriage, where you could live, and taking away the right to vote. All of this was done 
by the same people who erected these monuments to, that, to, to these Confederate generals. And they, they, and they deliberately put them in their uniforms, <clears throat> and, of course, the monument to the former president of the Confederate, Confederacy. All of this was done to re-enslave African Americans as close as possible. And the fact that you have some black people say, oh, I'm not, it's not that big of a deal, and they talk about brainwashing, but they are the ones who have been brainwashed. There's a study that was done on, and released only a few weeks ago in the New York Times that talks about racial identification. <clears throat> and the only group of people who actually uh, uh, treat the other group the same as they treat their own are African-Americans who, who treat whites the same as they treat blacks. Every other group in the world, you know, look, looks out for their own before they look out for anybody else. You know, I can recall, you know, my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, was born in the 1880s, and 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 I tried to get her to register to vote, and she would never do it because she was afraid. And what was she afraid of? She was afraid of the reign of terror that she saw as a young girl growing up in New Orleans. You know, that was was unleashed on black people by the same people who erected these monuments in in the face of black people saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to put you back in your place. And, the, and so we're erecting these monuments to people, in, you know, in their garb. And then the monument, you know, the Liberty Monument down at the foot of Canal Street, which is a monument to the murder of police officer, officers and of an integrated group of people who were trying to exercise their rights, you know, no, these monuments, they, they need to go. They, they are, it's a disgrace. No people on earth, no people on earth allow monuments to people who oppress them unless they're still oppressed. Nowhere on earth, you know, you don't see any monuments to the Nazis in, in Germany. You don't see any monuments to, to Hitler in France. You don't see any, any monuments to, to oppressors in, in, in Russia. Yeah, Stalin, Lenin, all taken down. You know, Mussolini, there are no monuments to Mussolini in Italy. And this whole thing about historical, the only way these these are not historical because the, the Landmark Society is supposed, to, is supposed to deal, commission is supposed to deal with, with places, not statues. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get right back. But, but anyway, you, you can't have monuments, you know, to individuals and claim that the monument itself is historic. The place can be historic, you know. So so what we have is an attempt to, to, to maintain white supremacy over, over black people by saying you have to pay for, you know, these public spaces, these public streets, these public monuments that are in your face and remind you that your ancestors were enslaved, and these are the people who attempted to keep them enslaved. I, I thank you so much, uh, Mr. Henry. What, what is your full name? Uh, Julian. Uh, I, I'm very, very familiar with the Julian family and um, appreciate uh, very much you calling in. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, well, y'all have a good day. Thank you. Thank you very all right. much. Thank you. Um, all right. We... Um, I am so appreciative of these comments because I'm going to bring them with me to the um, hearing this afternoon. And by the way, let me say, if I walk into that that city council chambers today, 
and I'm looking out in the audience, and it is it is nothing but white people from uptown. I'm going to be very disappointed that people didn't take the responsibility to come and express their views um, that may be different. Um, and and I, you know, I, I I'm not saying that everybody that's going to come in there from uptown is going to be representing the view in favor of the statues. Um, I'm sure that'll be a, a, a mixture of views coming in, but um, I really hope. Uh, to hear from uh, from the whole city, not just part of it. So please, if you care about this at all, you need to be in the city council today. Bob Tannen, I need you to, you know, I'm going to run out of time any minute now, so I'm so sorry, but I mean, I think the monuments issue was, was something that I really wanted to hear what other people were thinking about this. So you are opening a show this Saturday night. Senku, I'm going to um, uh, put you off into the last minute, and we'll, ca- we'll try to catch you, but I've had a lot of uh, – I've given my show over on this subject, and I really have to get in this show that we're opening on Saturday night because it's an important show. All right, so Saturday night, there are going to be something over 10 huge murals, um, 15 by 12 approximately, that were done by hundreds of people um, who came to a little double shotgun that faces the levee um, uh, in the Lower Ninth Ward in the Holy Cross area that um, Mr. Tannen invited them into that building to do these uh, wonderful um, murals, which we are in turn going to give to various public facilities around the city, community centers and um, hospitals and recreational centers and and so on. Um, Why did you do that show? And and, and, uh, I'll tell you why I'm doing it again. uh, And we never have shown all of the murals before uh, for a period of time. They were shown briefly, courtesy of Susan Brennan in her her building that was being restored. Um, And and now... um, uh, th- we're going to have this show up for a while. So, but tell me why um, you invited the public, not just artists, but anybody, to come in and paint on those murals, put out the brushes and the paints and the and the drop cloths, and said, "Have at it." Well, um, Dan Cameron, who was the curator for Prospect Two, said it very clearly, um, which is why I did this uh, particular kind of installation. And that is that uh, art is a collaboration between the producer and the consumer or the person who uh, participates by being a viewer uh, or a more active uh, participant. So I've always thought that uh, that art is this uh, two-part uh, activity where you have the producer traditionally on the one hand and those who are the audience on the other. But today, in today's world, that line has been changed considerably where the producer and the viewer or the producer and the consumer is also perhaps more closely um, uh, working together and are part of the creative process. So that by inviting people from the Lower Ninth Ward and elsewhere to participate in making these uh, uh, murals uh, with no instruction from me as to what they should be, 
they became a collaboration where I'm more of the facilitator, making that space available, making the materials available. But the traditional viewer now is the creator. So I tried to close the gap between between the two different roles on the assumption that the roles really are a combined role and you can't separate completely the creative process uh, from the person who is the producer uh, and from the person who is the consumer or the viewer or the audience. Um, and I, uh, I wonder what, um, what Russell thinks about that point of view. I think it's incredibly important. I mean, I think that's why museums exist. We have the opportunity to show the work of artists and reinvigorate that relationship between visitor, viewer, and maker. I also think, and tell me I'm wrong, that one of the statements that you were making is that everybody has creative genes. They all have the capacity to be creative. If not genes, juices. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yes, uh, I would agree with that. And so in the Myrtle Banks building this Saturday, at what time is this going to be open? Six o'clock, Saturday night, um, 1307 Arutha Castle Haley Boulevard. In addition a to... A big school building right there. In addition Easy to, to park right out in front. In addition to the murals, there are a couple of smaller pieces done by people who were involved in those murals, like the... Uh, Ron Bechet, who is the director of the Fine Arts Department at Xavier, who brought his students in to work on, on a mural. And one of the murals was almost exclusively and, the Xavier and, students, and, and Loyola students on another And we one. have some uh, other students, high school students, uh, like uh, Alan Lafort, who was a, a high school student at John McDonough High School, who's a very, very fine artist, and also a young woman from NOCA, uh, who worked with me on two of the pieces there. And um, uh, that's uh, you'll, you'll see uh, several pieces that are smaller in scale. And Io, uh, Io Scott has work in that show. Um, Io, who's John Scott's son and a, a, a terrific Talbot, artist in his Talbot, own right. Talbot Palmer is the artist from, from NOCA. NOCA. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a spectacular show, y'all. It's very dramatic. Um, it'll be up for a while, so we'll talk about it again, and I'll give Tannen a little bit better a chance to talk. I'm, I'm sorry. He got cheated, but I really did I want to hear about cheated. it. I didn't get cheated. I didn't get cheated. You don't feel this, cheated? No, no. This was more important stuff. Yeah, yeah this was a very rich yeah, discussion. We had to we, – we had to – I really wanted to hear what people had to say about it because I didn't want to go in there uninformed. Now, um, I have like seconds left. I just want to remind you all that we are hours away from the end of the Kickstarter for the Ninth Ward – Improv Opera, and we still need your dollars. We're going for our $14,000 goal, and we're at about 12. And all you have to do is go click on Kickstarter online, go into Discovery, and then Art, and you'll find the Ninth Ward Improv Opera. Give us some dollars, guys, even just a few. It closes at noon tomorrow. And Chuck Perkins is coming up next. I'll leave him to make another pitch on it because we we need your dollars, and we're doing it for the community, and the community is a part of the production. Gene Nathan, Crosstown Conversations. If I don't get off the air right now, I get my head handed to me. So bye, y'all.